Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com and find them at FDIC at booth 2540. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. TheFireStore.com, equipping protectors with passion. That's how they operate, and it's how they live. They understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Their goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit them at FDIC at Boots 110 and 111. Well, welcome to another edition of Fire and Training. I'm your host, Douglas Klein, and I'm excited about today's show. Joining me is a really good friend, FDIC colleague, uh, fire service training guy that I'm just excited to have on the show. It's Paul Wellington from the Burlington, North Carolina Fire Department. Uh, Paul's got an associate's degree working on his uh, bachelor's degree from the Center for Public Safety Excellence. He's a chief training officer. Uh, Paul, it's great to have you on the show. Chief, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to it. You know what's going to be really cool is we're going to talk about a topic today that most people probably wouldn't dive into but you and I both recognize just how important this topic really is when it comes to fire ground operations, uh, to working together in a collaborative effort. We talk about fire attack and ventilation being a coordinated effort. Uh, I've heard you say in, in your programs about uh, fire attack and pump operations being a coordinated effort as well. And that's what we're going to talk about today is um, making the pump operator great again. And that's a coin phrase that you use. And, and honestly, it's true. Uh, it's one of the most critical positions that we have on a, a fire ground operation or on any operations when it evolves around water flowing from a fire apparatus, no matter what that type of situation is on emergency response. But, you know, our pump operators, and I'm going to use an analogy here. You can be a pump operator and pull levers. And, you know, I, I, you know, you can twist the knobs, you can pull the levers, uh, you can push the little buttons, but is that really being a pump operator? And we all know that is not correct. There's a, there's a lot more that goes into it and we're going to dive into this today. So I'm going to kick it over to you and say, uh, stellar presentation at FDIC 2023 packed house, packed house in a big area, standing room only to hear you specifically talk about pump operations. So let's let's run through what you were really doing, what you were talking about, and we'll get even deeper with that. So go ahead. Yeah, so um, 
I, I think I look at it a little bit, um, a little bit differently, a little deeper. Uh, but I'll look at the overall roles and responsibilities of a pump operator. I think um, you know, starting out uh, in my fire service career, uh, I mean, I faced the fact that you know, not many people. I'm, I can't vouch for you, but not many people get into the fire service. Uh, with the intention of becoming an officer or with the intention of being in a senior staff or or even being a pump operator. You know, everybody gets into the service to be a firefighter. And then when they get there, they realize that there are other options for them and uh, even more challenges. And uh, as they embrace those challenges, they see that, um, you know, the pump operator is not necessarily just a stepping stone to an officer rank. Uh, Believe it or not, there's a lot of individuals in the fire service that actually seek that position uh, as a career goal is to become an engineer or chauffeur or pump operator, whatever you may refer to it as. Um, but one thing that I noticed early on was there's, you know, we, we, we have a healthy dose of officer development. We have a healthy dose of recruit academies and, you know, basic tactics and strategy to offer um, the fire service in a whole. Uh, you know, you go to conferences, you got uh, FDIC and, and many other professional development uh, opportunities, but there's not really a healthy dose of uh, of good information, street level tactics, strategies, best practices offered for pump operators. Uh, and I think probably the biggest reason is that it's overall viewed as just a stepping stone to an officer rank or uh, a stepping stone to a higher rank above firefighter. Um, so when I noticed that, uh, when I got, when, when I was promoted into the engineer rank, uh, back with the horse and buggies, right? When, <laughs> but when, yeah. I, was, <laughs> when I was promoted back into uh, the engineer rank, um, I got a lot of in-house training that I was able to appreciate. A lot of, hey, this may happen to you, so you need to be prepared for this. A lot of troubleshooting skills, a lot of know-how. Uh, and and most of that was not offered in a certification, a driver operator certification or, or, or whatever. But uh, when I noticed that, I was like, you know, I want there to be more information for those people out there that are like me that do want to make a career out of that. Now, I know since then I've uh, promoted up and I'm now the chief of training for the city of Burlington Fire Department. But I'm in a position now where I can make those changes and, and, and really make sure that everybody here is offered what they need to be successful, uh, especially our pump operators. Um, but looking back to the overall roles and responsibilities of it, being a pump operator is not just standing at a pump panel. I like to look at it as all of the preparation leading up to that point. Um, you know, knowing, knowing your routes and uh, knowing your streets and, particular situations to where uh, you may not lead out on the engine. A truck may need to be leading out because of the situation dictated scenarios. Um, but understanding what role you play when it comes to uh, time to victims or what role you play when it comes to time to extinguishment. Uh, the pump operator is kind of the, I like to say the unsung hero of the incident. You know, they, they fail at the pump operation role. The entire incident suffers from that. Um, so I always I kind of break down an incident into three categories. You got the the command post and, and a lot of the, the strategy uh, being handled there and then the tactics being handled, um, you know, when it comes to extinguishment, ventilation, uh, rescue, search. And then you got the pump operator and we can make decisions on the fire ground and we can we can extinguish fire. We can make our way to victims. But if that pump operator fails or is not effective at their job, it affects every other aspect of the incident. 
and you know, you make a great point. And that goes back to my concept of do we have people just pulling levers or do we have people that are truly proficient at the job of being a, a true pump operator? Because, you know, one of the things, and I've noticed that we've dumbed this down. I even see the pictures now of uh, on the pump panel where they put what you're supposed to pump it at. Well, what if you change the nozzle? Well, we're permanently set up that way. Well, what happens when there's a change? Uh, that's part of where I came through in being a pump operator. I remember that we were taught how to do calculations with hydraulics. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't none of this. You made these cheat sheet charts. It wasn't none of this stuff. You, you could have that stuff. But when we went through to be successful and to pass being a pump operator, we had to be able to do that mathematical equation in our head and be very darn close to it. Um, now I've heard people say you, you turn it up to the feet come off the ground, back it up two turns. You know, I felt like that's been the case a couple of times with some of the yeah. people running the pumps for us is like, okay, you're killing me here. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you're right. However, we set the fire ground up that first two minutes is how the next two or better hours are going to go. And there's so much more, like you said, to being a pump operator, being an engineer, that apparatus. And, and I think about that. And one of the things I think about that comes to mind was, was a gentleman that drove for me. And when I was in Chapel Hill, his name was Dennis Bailey and he drove me on the ladder truck. Uh, well, Dennis Bailey prided himself in being the engineer of that ladder truck to the point he studied the owner's manual. Mm -hmm. He could tell you the, uh, torque pressure on the bolts underneath the turntable. He could tell you everything about how the uh, levers worked inside and behind that pump panel. He could tell you how much friction loss you had, what some of your challenges were if, if you went into the rear port versus the side port. And if you were direct pumping versus pumping off the truck, you know, how you could do a lot of things. Uh, same thing that I had, you know, with, with some folks that drove me on the engine, David Woody being one of them. Um, they knew how to do the calculations. Claude Neville was another one. Uh, he used to tell me they, they kept him around to, to tell us where the toilet paper was. He'd been there for so long. But he could tell you where every hydrant was. He could tell you where every connection was on the university campus. He could tell you where the alarm panels were. And that's something that's critical is, is the chauffeur is you're trying to get somebody from point A to point B positioning that apparatus correctly, whether you're first do, second do, third do, whatever you are and whatever role you're going to have. And then when you get to the scene, it's not just, okay, I'm going to stand here and pump this truck. You know, there's a lot more that goes into that. There's ladders that are sometimes coming off these trucks, equipment getting your connections to a water supply, all these other things that you have to do that goes into it. So let's, let's break this down into a couple of sections. The first thing I heard you talk about was knowing about driving your routes, your district, you know, the positioning of when you come out of the station, if the engine needs to go first, if the ladder needs to go first, do they need to go in the same directions? Let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I, I mean, I think it's very important, and a lot of that is predetermined. Okay, um, you know, for example, in the city of Burlington, we know we have a couple of overpasses uh, where the train—it's um, a train overpass—but uh, our platform will not uh, clear that overpass, so that platform has to take a different route. Um, well, understanding that that we may not all be in a line strategically as we pull up on the incident, we may be coming in from two different locations, and if that's the case. 
do I need to think about as an engine operator or, or chauffeur or whatever? Um, do I need to be thinking about where is my water supply? If it's on the opposite side of the road, then do I need to let the truck come in from that opposite direction to get behind me before I shut the, you know, the, the road down with a five inch supply line to a hydrant? Uh, so being strategic and timely um, and, and, and just knowing that uh, where your train uh, tracks are, uh, we we try not to cross train tracks in emergency traffic. We have predetermined routes around emergency traffic or, or around those train tracks in emergency traffic. Uh, you know, as long as it's you know within a uh, within a, a timely fashion that we can still get to the incident. Um, we don't want to commit the, the way our train tracks are. We don't want to commit to uh, crossing a train track and then the cross arms drop there and then we're having to regroup and, and uh, so we have predetermined routes for that or around those. Uh, you know, another thing is FDC locations. Um, you know, that's big, uh, you know, collapse zones, downtown districts where we have, you know, what we consider high rise. Uh, you know, where are we positioning apparatus, um, you know, in those particular locations? Um, you know, obviously we have multiple uh, apparatus coming from multiple um, stations and, and we like to let each other know where we are because in some cases we might converge on one another. So, uh, you know, we know where those hot intersections are to where we need to be paying attention to that. So a lot of pre-planning goes into, um, you know, goes into your uh, driver operator training. And uh, it's, it's very important to be aware of all of that stuff. Um, you know, one of the, the biggest things that I was, uh, you know, made aware of is, is knowing your routes because I look at, you know, you look at a firefighter, a captain, a, 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 a engine boss, whoever that is making that decision to make, uh, make entry into the front of a house because that's the quickest way to a potential victim. Well, that's relates right back to the, the pump operator or the driver operator. You know, you need to know routes to main thoroughfares in your districts because that's your quickest way to the victim. So, you know, thinking about it like that, it really brings a lot of importance um, to it. One, one, one of the biggest pivotal moments when it came to my advocacy for the driver operator position was a conversation that I actually had on the phone uh, with uh, Chief Bobby Halton. Uh, it was a couple of years back. Uh, the phone conversation was intended to be maybe five or 10 minutes. Hey, I need to talk to you about this. And about an hour and 15 minutes later, we got off of the phone and all we talked about was the little things that are not thought of when it comes to the importance of the driver operator. And that being one of them, uh, that is your time to victims and the crew's time to victims. That's where it all starts, um, you know, is in that pump operator position. And that's that's a big deal. And we don't think about that, but um I, I know I've had uh, drivers and, you know, do you know where you're going? Yeah. And they go out of the station and they make a right and should have made a left. It's like, where are you going? Uh, that, that delays you. And that does have an impact on fire round operations. It has an impact on uh, the survivability of victims, those type of things. But let, let's break this down just a little farther. Uh, we were talking about uh, when they're driving, when they're getting there, most folks don't take into the account the responsibility that you have as a as a person that is uh, chauffeuring that vehicle around. Uh, when you're going down the road, you're basically in today's environment. You're chauffeuring about a five hundred to an eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar piece of equipment. 
And then all the people that you're passing on the roadway, you have a responsibility for their safety. You have a responsibility for the safety of the people that are in your apparatus. You have a responsibility for the safety of the people that are in the buildings or walking down the sidewalks or, you know, wherever you're at. That is a big deal. Most people don't think about that. Mm-hmm. And then they don't think about the responsibility they have for the billions of dollars of property that exists within their jurisdictions that they have a responsibility to for the protection. Uh, their inefficiency and in, you know being able to show for the vehicle, their inability in being able to do pump operations or FDC connections or knowing where hydrant locations are or positioning of that has an impact on the economic component and the quality of life of that community as a whole. They don't think of it that way. It's a bigger overarching picture. And that's where I tell folks, especially when we're we're trying to train them or especially when we're training company officers about their roles and how they've got to train their people is you got to have a window to the wider world approach. And I know you talk a lot about that in your class. So let's, let's get into that a little bit. Well, uh, you actually reminded me of a couple of things that um, that I need to actually um, add into some of the uh, teaching that I do with uh, pump operations. But, you know, one of the biggest things um, that I think is not thought about enough is the or, or the legalities, you know, uh, of being that pump up, op- being that driver operator. Uh, you know, if you go you, you have an accident, um, you know, operating that apparatus, um, outside of the safety uh, responsibility that you have of the public and the crew that's on the truck, um, you know, two questions are going to be asked to you in court. Did you use due regard to the safe with the safety of the public? And did you use all of your audible and visible warning devices? And that that's one of the things that concerns me a lot is, you know, seeing emergency apparatus, not using all of their lights or maybe not using their siren at three o'clock in the morning uh, because they don't want to wake the neighborhood up. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you have an accident, a lawyer's going to have a field day in court with that. Um, so the legalities, uh, understanding your general statutes for your states that you live in, understanding what um, exemptions you may have what, while operating a uh, an emergency vehicle, uh, those things are very, very important. Uh, and so the legalities of it are, are, are very important to be aware of, and, and uh, especially uh, when it comes to operating that apparatus and don't need to be put to the side when, when it comes to your training and awareness. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the responsibility that you have uh, for the safety of the public, but, you know, I like to break it down when it comes to the overall responsibility. Uh, it's broken down into two categories. When you look at the incident versus emergency versus non-emergency. Uh, on an emergency incident, obviously, your number one priority is the safety of that nozzle crew. You want to make sure that they have the effective pressure to be effective with what they're doing, effective water to be effective with what they're doing, but protect that nozzle person. Uh, not emergency. Uh, your number one responsibility is the safe arrival and departure of that crew that's on that truck. Uh, and that that responsibility is also extended to their families. That's something else that needs to be remembered. Um, you know, they're just getting a ride to the incident. You are the one giving them that ride. Uh, you are responsible for that uh, five hundred to eight hundred thousand dollar apparatus, but you're also responsible for that. You know, well over one hundred thousand dollars of equipment that's on it. Now, with that being said, it's very appropriate to mention that who better to know that equipment on that truck than the engineer of that truck? Um, 
what I mean by that is you're, you're the technical specialist of all of that equipment on that apparatus. You check it off every day. You know what it's supposed to do. What is, you know, <laughs> I was talking to chief Lasky a while back and I, you know, I had this very elementary saying of in order to know something wrong, you got to know what right looks like. <laughs> so, that's, that's, you're right. That's, that's <laughs> a perfect example. You don't know what's wrong because you don't know what right is. You, you yeah. don't, have that concept of what's reality. Right. So, I mean, when it comes to the equipment on the truck, I mean, how do you know if something's broken or missing a bolt or, you know, not where it's supposed to be when you don't know what it's supposed to be like in normal operation. So you're the technical specialist of that equipment. Somebody hands it back to you clean to go back on the apparatus. You're going to run that one little quick check on it just to make sure that it's back in a useful state of readiness. Uh, I used to carry a little whiteboard, uh, one of the little dry erase whiteboards on the truck and, uh, you know, if, if firefighter Smith comes by and takes a pipe pole off my apparatus, I would write it down, you know, just to make sure it's my own little personal accountability for my equipment on my apparatus. And at the end of the incident, I check, Hey, if I'm missing my 10 foot pipe pole, firefighter Smith took it. Hey, firefighter Smith, where's my pipe pole? We're going to open a piston intake valve, wash it off real quick, dry it, put it back on the truck. Uh, you know, when we have time to do all of that, but, um, you know, I would go as far as saying if a firefighter came to you as an engineer on that apparatus and says, Hey, what's the cutting pressure on our Hearst cutters? You should be able to answer that question. Yeah, uh, yeah. You are the technical specialist of that equipment on that apparatus. Is that a lot of responsibility? Absolutely. Is it a lot of information to retain? Absolutely. But it's just pride in your position and, and, and ownership into that position. Uh, I want to know how many, you know, uh, T25 bits I have in my toolbox on my, on my apparatus. I mean, it's just the little things like that. Um, you know, hose nozzle packages, that's important. I mean, this is inch and three quarter or 1.88 inch hose all over the fire service right now. That's being pumped and, and, um, packed on a truck, uh, packed on a truck as if it were, you know, inch and three quarter, uh, fire, fire departments don't know sometimes what they have in their fleet that is directly impacted by friction loss and pump pressures. And so knowing, you know, what, what size hose you have on the truck, what, what, it, what I know what you bought, what you think you bought, but do you know what you have? Um, you know, being it aware of all that. That's another big thing. And I, I, I guarantee you talk about that in the class is the hose mixed to where you're having pressures from one side to the other side or changes or whatever it may be. You know, that's, that's a big deal. Oh yeah. Uh, if you go from inch and a half to inch and three quarter, you know, there's a friction loss difference or you're not flowing the water that you think you're flowing. And, and that's another uh, component that most people don't think about. Well, you know, <laughs> I asked one, one particular individual, how do they purchase their fire hose? And they say, Hey, we, you know, no matter whether it's Mercedes, uh, snap tight, you know, key that none of that matters to me it's, it's preference to you and your resources. Right. Um, but the individual said, well, we buy what we get the best deal on. Right. So that tells me right there that they're not into like testing for their friction loss and testing equipment. And, and you mentioned earlier about pump charts. I'll get to that here in just a second. But, you know, one of the things that, um, concerns me a little bit is we buy something, but we don't know the full capabilities of it, or we don't, we, we haven't tested it. So we don't know what it will do. Um, you know, we, we have 
found 1.88 inch O's mixed in with inch and three quarter true 1.75 inch O's. And, and there is a difference. And, you know, can you pump it at an average pressure and get away with it? Yeah, you can. But I mean, if you are not concerned about the details, you know, and I actually upset a few people when I said this before, but I'm unapologetic about it because we don't get to pick and choose what parts of the fire ground that we're professional at. Okay. It's all in or all out. Those customers that we respond to want everything that we can give them. And if we're not firing on all cylinders and we're not precise in using that precision on every single aspect of that fire ground and we're failing them. Okay. Now what I'm about to say, you know, again, you know, upset a few people, but if you're not concerned about your pump pressures and you're not concerned about maximizing your capabilities of that pump panel, then that that's the same type of person that is not concerned about searching that corner in that AB corner when they walk in that house or when they make entry into that house. We do not get to pick and choose what aspects of the fire ground that we're professional and precise with. And that's one of the positions that's easily, I guess, overlooked or gotten away with because you know, first of all, you're by yourself. You don't have people to bounce ideas off of. Um, you know, I even talked to somebody I mentioned in my class, I mentioned in all my classes that, you know, I asked the question, how do you measure your success as a pump operator on the fire ground? How do you measure your success? The firefighters and the captains, the engine bosses, uh, the interior crews, the search crews, you know, they measure their success off of extinguishment and rescue of victims. And, and the commanding officers in the command post, they, they measure their success off of successful tactics and, and oversight of an incident. How do the pump operators judge their success? How do you know if you did a good job? And my reply to them is when, when I ask that question, not rhetorical, I do expect to answer. Um, you know, you did a good job as a pump operator when nobody said a word to you at the end of the incident. That is exactly correct. They're not out there beating on you or saying, Hey, you know, you were killing me inside or, you know, why didn't I have this or why wasn't the equipment at the door or any of that stuff? When all that's done, generally it's crickets for the pump operator. Yeah. And you know, it, the precision that I mentioned, it, it, it goes back to in any trade show that you go to FDIC, whether it be firehouse, whatever, um, any trade show that you go to, you see the advertisement, even in, um, you know, even in your tactic, tactics that you learn in conferences. It's important. GPMs matter. They do matter. Um, so when we talk about, for an example, a seven, eight inch tip and 160 gallons a minute, you know, we talk about the fact that a seven, eight inch tip will give you 160 gallons a minute, but we don't finish the statement. It will, if the pump operator is doing their job correctly, <laughs> Amen. So it, we don't finish the statement. We see what's written on pump charts and we see what's advertised and, and we see the effects of 160 gallons a minute, but we don't finish the statement. And are we pumping it correctly? How do we know? Do we have inch and eight, eight? Do we have two inch? Do we have super two from Mercedes? Do whatever we may have, have we tested it? And that goes back to your pump charts. And, and I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but um, I'm an advocate for pump charts. I'm an advocate for testing for your friction loss and not necessarily relying on industry standards. The problem with the numbers that me and you came up on back in the day is for an example, the coefficient for inch and three quarter hose being 15 and a half. It might've been years ago, but it's not now. 
you know, coefficient uh, because of the manufacturing processes um, is pretty much non-existent. I mean, it's, it's obsolete in your process of, of um, determining pump pressures. Um, you know, years ago, you stick your finger inside of a fire hose, you could feel texture. Now, most most every fire hose on the market is like PVC pipe on the inside, right? So, um, how do we detail that friction loss to determine our pump pressures? We have to gauge it out and test it. Uh, every one of them is different. Uh, you know, every manufacturer is different. Uh, test your hose. Look at kink factor. Look at weight of your hose. It's not just friction loss. There's so many other aspects of fire hose that make a difference. Um, what are your effective GPMs in a two inch versus an uh, inch and a half or two and a half versus inch and a half testing that. But going back to your original statement of how those are sometimes considered cheat sheets, it is vital for your pump operators to not only know what that friction loss is, but to know where it came from and how it was derived. Um, okay. So, Say that a little louder for the folks in the back of the room. Okay. You know, <laughs> Those folks way back there, I want them to hear that. Do not rely on the pump chart to be a cheat sheet. That's one of the things that I, I have an issue with, and I guess I'm a little old school, but I have an issue with, with the new technology that we have nowadays, especially in, in regard to a pump operator with the pressure governors and the presets, you know, um, especially the presets. But, um, you know, the SAM system, I love that stuff. It's all great. But what I see a lot of people do is use that, to take the place of the thinking process, uh, you know, especially presets. I mean, you know, it, don't let that new technology take away the concept of thinking and working through problems on the fire ground. Don't let something do your job for you because it may, the pump panel is going to do what you tell it to do right or wrong, but it's not going to tell you that it's wrong. You have to be able to determine that. So, you know, when it comes to pump charts, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, my advice is to test everything that you have, every nozzle that you have on every hose that you have. Take that data, uh, you know, friction loss per 100 feet. OK, that way, you know, it's per 100 feet. If you have a 150 foot lay, a 250 foot lay, a 400 foot lay, as long as you know what it is per 100 feet you'll be able to work your way out. You know, if it's only 50 feet, cut that number in half. If it's 200 feet, double that number. Add your nozzle pressure, figure up whatever elevation loss you may have, uh, you know, appliance loss that you may have, and and uh, put it together and pump it. I mean, it's that simple, but you have to know where those numbers come from. So when it comes to testing for friction loss or testing for appliance loss or whatever you're trying to test in your hose nozzle packages, the pump operators need to be involved in that testing process. That does not need to be done by a chief of training or a captain in the training division and then just handed to somebody. Uh, the, your pump operators need to be involved in that testing process so they can know where that data came from and understand it better. And let, let's take that a little bit further. You were talking about in your jurisdiction. I know I have those, but most people will have areas that have more than one floor. It's not all single level. Uh, for some of us, we get into the 30, 40 story buildings. For others, it may be two or three stories. But it's important to know when you've got that hose going up, what the friction loss really is once it gets to the nozzle. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you were talking about let's do the actual equations. Let's go out and flow it. Let's put the meters on there. Let's 
test and verify what we're doing. It's the same thing that you do in high rise operations is you go out and I know that they go and by code, they test these to make sure they're flowing X amount at, you know, the top floor and they have to get so many gallons. The pumps have to do this. I understand all that. But what happens when we book to that and we're pumping it, we're helping supplement that system. And what happens when we're engaged in fire suppression operations on the 25th floor or the 20th floor, or the 10th floor, whatever it may be, you've got to know exactly what that hose is doing, what its performance is. And by being involved, being involved in the testing, being engaged in that, you know, actually grows the knowledge and the connection between the people on the nozzle and the person at the pump panel. And you, you brought this out. It's, you know, these preset settings are great until all of a sudden it's not a 200 foot line. You got to go to a 300 foot line or a 400 foot line. And we know that happens. We know that in certain situations you're, you're dropping leader lines. We had a, a good uh, single family residential structure, a large square footage, two stories, heavy fire volumes, and it was requiring a lot of, of water flow. Well, that pump operator was getting a real test because we had, you know, two, three inch lines running to the rear of the building, flowing uh, master streams, those blitz fire style guns. We had inch and three quarters on the ground. I mean, you just can't start just playing around with it. And so oh, I'm going to give you this or the preset setting, you know, that's not how it works because all of a sudden it's not a standard hose lay. We've added hose to that. We, you know, stretched farther than what is normal. So you have to be able to figure that in your head. And one of the things that I always get people, and, and I'll do this, I'll walk into a group of people, especially if it's a, a, a class or a pumps class or people that are talking, I'll go, how far can you pump, relay pump a two and a half inch hose flowing a thousand gallons of water? Well, we know what the formulas say. It's two cubed squared times the length, you know, that gives you your friction loss. But there's also something that comes into play is when you start flowing water and you have to start running your pressures higher, it's like when you're drafting, you, you can only get so much out of that truck. So a good example is you take a thousand divided by a hundred is 10, 10 squared is a hundred. Well, automatically, you know that if you multiply that by two, that's 200. That's 200 PSI for 100 foot of hose. Uh, when we get to 200 PSI on a, a truck pumping it, you're only going to be able to flow so much capacity. You're stretching that pump tight. So automatically, if it's a 1500 GPM pump and 150 gives you that 1500 GPMs, when you're drafting, you get to 200, you just drop that ability of that pumper down to about a thousand GPM pumper. That's exactly that. And, and that's just rough data, scientific evidence, quote unquote. Now, depending on how old that two and a half inch hose is versus the new, <laughs> the, the make, the model, the brand, the couplings, the whole nine yards is, is the friction loss there. But basically you can go a hundred foot with one, two and a half. That's the reason in the old days you were laying the, um, the dual two and a half down the streets. And then they said, Oh, if we go to bigger hose, three inch hose or 
four inch hose or the five inch hose, you can flow more. And they're exactly correct because of the friction loss and the changes. So again, you have to take all that into consideration that a lot of folks don't. So talk a little bit about, let's, let's go to FDIC. What a, what a great show that was. What a great venue, about 37, 38,000 plus people that were there. One of the, the biggest crowds I've seen in a long time. Uh, I had a little bit more time to see the crowd this year. So, you know, that was a lot better. Uh, my schedule had dropped off a little bit. You know, some of the activities I typically have at FDIC, but a great crowd. I saw classroom after classroom packed, uh, which was phenomenal. That's exactly what we want to see. I saw people in the hallways that were, you know, intermingling and the education that was going on there and the vicarious learning and the sharing of experiences. Uh, the folks in the podcast booth uh, where they were video podcasting at, at the main corridor there. Uh, and, and like I said, in the very beginning, when I introduced you, your room was packed. So why do you think people came to hear about pump operations? What do you think is the attraction all of a sudden to something that is about the most unsexy component of the fire service? And we're not talking about, you know, vent inner search and, we're not talking about rapid intervention and we're not talking about, you know, stretching lines We're we are, but we're not. What made people want to come to that? What do you think made people want to come to that specific well, program of yours? I think first of all, um, and I'm obviously a supporter of fire engineering, but it's, uh, I don't mean to sound so biased here, but um, FDIC, you know, is known for, being there for every firefighter from every rank to every division and being able to offer a healthy dose of, of, uh, of everything. What surprised me? Uh, well, first of all, when my class was first accepted to FDIC, um, you back last year, uh, when I first brought the pump stuff, uh, I was very surprised at the attendance in the class. Um, you know, it was the first time a class had ever been offered. So I was kind of sketchy on, you know, I wonder, cause you know, nobody, it's like nobody heard about it last year and wants to come this year. So, uh, but I had a lot of attendance last year and then this past year it was almost double. And the feedback that I was getting uh, at the end of the class when quite a few people uh, approached me at the end of the class and, and said, thank you. And it's like, okay. Um, you know, thank you for the content. What, what, and, what exactly are you thanking me for? Thank you for bringing pump ops or, or some type of pump ops class to FDIC. Uh, you know, there's a healthy dose of, of everything, but I really needed to hear this. And, and this guy ended up being a training chief at a smaller department somewhere out in the Midwest. And, you know, most everybody by raise of hands uh, in, in my class uh, was already an existing pump operator just looking to grab that one little puzzle piece you know that they were missing out of their puzzle maybe they didn't maybe they did not get that from another class uh fortunately there's been uh, other pump operation classes offered um at fdic one or two this year uh and by awesome instructors uh hopefully those folks that um you know, set through my class and maybe still didn't get their puzzle completed, was able to go to one of those other individuals classes and, and hear it from a different perspective. Um, but I, I do think that pump operations completed almost like it's, 
it completed the circuit at FDIC, right? Having at least four or five options there for those individuals to come to, because again, there are many firefighters in the history in, in, in throughout the United States right now that look at that as a destination position. And when you look at it as a destination position, you go out and seek further information on it. And, you know, where better than to try your, try your shot at uh, getting that information than, than FDIC. Um, you know, had a lot of uh, existing pump operators that had been pump operators for uh, anywhere from 10 to 15 years come up asking, you know, can you give me some advice on relay pumping? How do you set your apparatus up? What size hose do you use? And, you know, I, I want to make sure that everybody I'm doing my part so that everybody that comes to that conference, no matter what you're looking for, is able to pick up puzzle pieces from any aspect of the service. Right. Um, but I got a lot of good feedback uh, from a lot of people saying, hey, man, I, I never really thought about it like the, like the way you explained it. You know, I even now realize that I do have more responsibility than I thought I had. I thought I was just there to make water come out of the end of a hose line so the nozzle crew could go to work, you know, but it, it really gave a, some of the class attendees a different sense of pride, you know, like, wait a minute, I am proud of what I'm doing as a pump operator. I do matter. Um, you know, I, and it fires them up. And when it fires them up, they want to go out and get even more that, that they didn't get in my class, you know, it, it reignites that spark in them to where they go home and, and they research and they study. And, you know, I, I've got quite a few emails. I spent that entire Monday when I got back from FDIC answering emails from, uh, from some of the attendees uh, in the class. Um, you know, Frank Ritchie picks on me a lot uh, <laughs> about, um, you know, how do you get that many people to come to a class that many people just don't seem or on a topic that many people don't seem to uh, be interested in. And I think it's just, it starts out with the awareness of it and, and the bringing to light the true responsibility that you have on that incident and, and leading up to that incident. But, uh, you know, again, I can't thank the attendees enough for showing up for my class like that. I was not expecting that. And, um, you know, I'm excited about the possibility of next year. Um, of being able to, um, I've already made changes to my presentation of things that I got fired up about in the class that some of the students want me to add. So, uh, you know, I'm excited about throwing that out there next year. But, um, you know, F like you said, FDIC was a huge success this year. Um, you know, a lot of behind the scenes work that went on. Um, you know, I didn't get a chance to do something. I want to make, I want to make a point to do it now. I did not get a chance to thank a particular group of people in my class because it was right toward the end of when my class was supposed to start. I had a little AV issue. Um, the AV team at FDIC and all of the volunteers, um, the recognition for those folks. Oh my God. They're they so awesome. And the, the, uh, the help that they were able to offer me so that my class was able to, you know, roll on. I had just a little minor AV issue, but, um, those, those, those folks are so professional, represented, um, you know, clearing events, fire engineering, FDIC, uh, so awesome. Uh, I just wanted to make make a point. I don't know how many of them may, may catch just a little glimpse of this, but I want to make a point to uh, recognize those folks, all of those volunteers and and um, the, the AV team uh, behind the scenes at FDIC. True, true, true group of professionals there. Oh, they definitely are, and they do a great job. And, uh, again, 
the whole staff of FDIC. Uh, Absolutely. Just, just phenomenal, phenomenal event. Well, Paul, I certainly uh, appreciate you coming on the show to talk a little bit about pump ops and hopefully this fires our folks up and they want to get to, to looking at more into pump operations and knowing more about the importance of it. If, if they need uh, more information, how do they get in contact with you? Um, my mobile number, my email address, um, I can be reached by email at, uh, at P Watlington. Uh, that's P W A T L I N G T O N at Burlington NC.gov G O V. Um, you know, my mobile number is, is open, uh, for anybody to, I, I give that out in my classes. It's on my instructor profile. Uh, so I have absolutely no problem giving it out here. 336-504-5078. Uh, I want to be a resource to you. Uh, I'm just a messenger here. I'm not making this stuff up. So if there's anything that I could be uh, uh, or any way that I could be of assistance to anyone, especially in this topic, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'll come to you. You can come to me. Uh, we can email. We can share information. Um, you know, anything that I could do to uh, make pump operations great again, Doug. <laughs> make pump operations great again. I'm with you. Well, Paul, thank you for, for being on. Uh, again, thank uh, Fire Engineering for hosting Fire and Training. I'm your host, Douglas Klein. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, this show is dedicated to the men and women who are in the streets 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Career, volunteer, doesn't matter. We're out there uh, being professional, taking care of business, and we're dedicated to everyone going home. So thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you on another edition of Fire and Training.